all, it's Tamara Krasniansky here from Adayad, and I'm really excited to be sharing this next segment of our Marriage Readiness Series. This whole series has been done with the help of the Crown Heights Jewish Community Council and MASK. Adayad is all about preparing people for a successful marriage, starting from pre-dating into the dating and into the marriage itself. And to that end, we have lots of these webinars and lots about our website at Adayad. Dot org. That's all A's, A-D-A-R-A-D dot org. And once again, we have Rahaba Klapman from MASK, and I want to really thank you for being such an important part of this whole series and lots of the other work that Adayard is able to do. So thank you, Rahaba. So thank you. It's a real honor to be here and collaborate with Adayard in all the programs that you offer. And just to give you a little idea about MASK, MASK is Mothers and Fathers Aligned Saving Kids. Kids of all ages and all stages for all mental health, including addiction. If anyone needs a referral for mental health, therapist, for a psychiatrist, or inpatient or outpatient program, feel free to give us a call. Our number is 718 80400. We also have a radio show Thursday nights on the Zeph Brenner station, which is 620 AM radio dial or talk line communications.com. Thursday night, 9 PM, it's called Family Matters. And I get to interview therapists, parents, Askanim, authors. You can listen to all the previous shows on our website. I'd like to welcome Dr. Neuberger tonight and thank you again, Deborah and Adeyad and the Crown Heights Community Council. So Dr. Neuberger, I'm so excited that you're here. But first, let me just talk about who you are. Dr. Neuberger received her doctorate in clinical psychology from the Freikhoff, or how I pronounce that, sorry, Graduate School of Psychology of Yeshiva University. And now she works at Empower Health Center in Lakewood, as a private practice in Lakewood. Her therapeutic style is integrative, meaning that she focuses on helping individuals gain insight into the root of the challenges using a psychodynamic conceptualization while teaching DPT and CBT skills to help with the symptoms. She specializes in working with young adults who have trauma histories, often including difficult childhoods. And that's why I'm so excited that you're here to be talking about this important topic because you deal with this a lot in your practice. So, Dr. Neuberger, thank you. Thank you for joining us tonight on this important topic. Thank you so much, Deborah, for inviting me and Ruth for joining us. Oh, and thank you. Thank you, yes, to Dr. Schaefer and Empower for this opportunity. Thank you to Rufama Klatman and Mask and the Crown Huts Community Council. I'm really so excited to be here tonight, also. Thank you for this opportunity. And I give you all so much credit. It's such an amazing program that you run to help talk about this preemptively. So that's the idea is preemptively. So when we're talking about people getting into a marriage, we know that we bring our whole selves and especially our childhood into the marriage. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means? Sure. A good question. Like how does childhood affect us in adulthood and into marriage or relationships? I think that psychologists definitely believe that it does. And I like to think about childhood like very foundationally, almost like the foundation of a building for good and bad. You know, if you think about it, if a building has a solid foundation, it's really likely that it can withstand a lot of things. 
And even if there's a problem, say on the fourth floor window or kind of like the door frames look a little off, usually it's not so hard to fix if there's a solid foundation. Conversely, if there is a crack in the cemented foundation, even if the house is built perfectly on top, it's going to be a bit shaky. Now, the analogy is not perfect because the good news is that human beings aren't cement. So that I think humans and the capacity to be in a relationship is something much more malleable. And that sometimes when someone has like a healthy foundation of relationship, uh, relationships in childhood, then it's much more likely than they will be able to develop healthy relationships in adulthood. But it doesn't mean that just because, let's say, they didn't have the greatest foundation of relationships in childhood doesn't mean that they can't establish them in adulthood. Uh, they can't change the patterns of whatever they grew up with. In childhood, is, in childhood, we learn the concept of what it means to be, in quotes, normal, or the rather how to be a part of a society, how to learn how to belong and be loved and included. And as human beings, we have this innate desire to be a part of a group. And where do you learn how to do that? Usually from childhood, from the micro to the macro, if you think about it. Like, what do you call that third meal of the day that you eat? Dinner? Supper? What do you call it? And, and where'd you learn that from? I guess is whatever you grew up calling it is what it is in your mind. To the even larger things. I can think about a client that I work with and any client that I use, I'm going to de-identify it so that, you know, 25-year-old woman is really a 40-year-old man and vice versa, you'll never be able to tell. But who came in from a difficult childhood, wanting to process what she's gone through in the context of a recent marriage. And she came in every week telling me about the different fights that she'd had with her husband. And at some point I noted to her, I was like, you kind of seem like you argue a lot with your husband. And she was like, what, that's not normal? And we had this conversation about, we, we explored that really she came from a background where her parents fought constantly and viciously. So she thought that was totally normal to be fighting with your spouse every week. So again, and, and, and everywhere in between is where you get this from childhood. And a third, I think really foundational thing that you gain from childhood is the concept of an attachment figure. And there's a researcher in the 1960s, his name was John Bowlby, who came up with this concept, which is that when babies come into the world, they are programmed to attach to a primary caregiver. In our culture, that's usually the mother, but it can be other caregivers. And through the prism of that relationship, they learn how to understand themselves, understand the world and understand others. And it really has a strong impact on all of their future social relationships. So now it's the kind of thing that an attachment relationship. So is now it's not, it's not all or nothing, I guess is what I want to say. So it's not like, oh, oh it, it's only this and nothing else and you can never change it. Um, it, it's what it means is. Let's say there's a critical period of the first few years of someone's life where you establish this relationship. Um, and there's research, you know, um, sorry, I'm getting a little caught because I get so excited about this. I'm getting ahead of myself in my mind. So I'm going to slow myself down and say it a little bit better, um, which is that um, the attachment relationship is something that's not about perfection, but more about a general, a general perspective. So our generally is the parent or attachment figure there for the child more than they're not. Now, are they generally able to uh, uh, respond to the child's needs in a way that shows them that they unconditionally love them, thus showing the child that they have inherent value? Are they generally able, reliably able to fill their needs, teaching them that other people can be trusted and that the world out there can fill their needs? Are they generally able to understand the child's communication, so showing them that the world can respond appropriately to them and they can be effective at interacting with the world? And again, it's not about perfection or all or nothingness. I mean, I don't think any parent ever perfectly responds to their child and any person perfectly responds to another, but about a general uh, overview, you know, generally when the baby cries, does the mother come to comfort them? So making them feel positive and loved. Does she ignore them, making them feel rejected? Or does she downright, she 
yell at them and get angry at them more than not making them feel scared and like nobody's responding to my needs. Um, again, it's not all or nothing. And there's rare that there's no positive in any attachment relationship. Uh, but I think it's something really foundational in childhood. And again, there's a lot of research showing that whatever style you have can impact whatever future relationships. So I think that there's, um, those are some general points about the importance uh, and foundation of childhood, but pause here. I said a lot there. So yeah, I just threw a lot at you. So feel free to stop me, ask questions. We can reflect or continue. Okay, so a small question. When we say childhood, are we talking about from zero to eight, 10, 12? That's a great question. In general, or in terms of an attachment relationship specifically? Some of the attachment relationships we were talking about. That's a good question. There's a little bit of debate in the research. It's somewhere between the ages of zero and two, three, four. Okay, so we're talking about really young. We almost don't remember what happened. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's really before, mostly we have the capacity to remember it. And then we were talking about that other client that you had that remembered that her grew up seeing that her parents fought a lot and thought that it was normal. So there's the attachment piece, but there's also this, these skills or the mindsets or the attitudes that we pick up in our home. So that we're talking to both of these pieces. So yeah. if someone comes from a well-adjusted family, so they have pick up pretty decent ways of being and they have a, a secure attachment style and things should be simpler. But when we're talking about someone who comes from a more challenged childhood or observed a more challenged marriage, or there was a divorce. So let's talk a little bit more to those, but someone comes from a less ideal background. What can they do to not bring that into their marriage? I think it's a really good question. I guess the way that I think about it is everyone has stuff. We all come in with stuff and whatever difficulties that everyone grew up with, because everyone has some sort of difficulties in life. You'll rarely find a person. I've never met someone has no difficulties in life, but sometimes it could be that some people don't have them in childhood, but they don't get scot-free out of life with no challenges. It could be they have them later in adulthood, but most people go through something. And certainly those difficult things affect us. There are some families that are very reactive. Some families where a parent is very micromanaging somewhere. There's not enough privacy. So some could be where caregivers are struggling, whether it be with depression or other mental illnesses. It could be that there's some substance abuse. It could be that they've just parents working a lot of hours or a lot of children. And for some reason, the caregivers, there's not enough caregiver availability for whatever the children need or important giver caregiver becomes ill or passes away. Or again, there's a divorce or some other big life event. I call that stuff and stuff happens in life and life is hard. And a lot of times children could bear the brunt when the parents struggle, but that's why we take a step back and look at like the whole family system and see how we can shore up other family members to help or other resources that, or other strengths that people went through. It's not just about the difficulties. When a lot of traumatic events happen, or let's say parents have their own trauma that they went through, which is what happens often when you come from difficult childhood. Sometimes you'll see that it's not just about them themselves who went through something. It's often about their parents who also went through things and that they didn't have the opportunity or for whatever reason, didn't deal with it. And then that emotional baggage kind of gets transferred throughout the generations until of course someone decides to do something about it and it doesn't continue. And that can often, when I think that it's something important to point out is a lot of the stuff that people go through is usually circumstantial. And it's not often, be, it's not always because there's ill will. Now, sometimes there is genuine abuse and that has to be dealt with. But I think that can be separated from when dysfunction isn't because of someone's abuse, it's because of difficult events that happen in life. And what's sacrificed is often children's sense of security and trust and the good news is, though, that 
and this I think is an important piece, is that it's not set in stone. That someone who has self-awareness and motivation can work through all of the difficulties that they came through in life, even if they didn't come from a perfect childhood. I think there's a balance to staying hopeful and not giving up. I'm not saying it's like easy. Sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back, but definitely people have a capacity to work through things. I think about a client that I worked through who came from a home that I think by every objective and subjective definition was like difficult than what people would call it dysfunctional. The parent married at a later age, didn't speak to each other. When they did speak to each other, they would scream at each other. They lived on different floors of the house. One parent was a hoarder. So there was not even a bedroom for this child who, when I saw them, was a young adult because there was too much junk and so many layers of difficulty. I remember them coming and saying to me, like, how am I ever going to get married? If I ever get married, how am I ever going to have a positive marriage? Because the only examples I have are, are so bad. And it took time, but we were able to work through in the context of other social relationships and eventually working through some of these things and get them gaining insight and learning how to function within their family system. And they were able to find a spouse at a really relatively young age and build a happy marriage. Again, is it always easy? No, there's hard things that come up, but just because somebody went through something difficult in childhood, A, doesn't mean it's entirely difficult. So you try to capitalize on the strengths and B, doesn't mean it's set in stone that they can certainly work through and build a much happier, more positive, healthy relationship. And they don't have to bring the intergenerational stuff. That's exactly right. That's right. What I was mentioning, I think that when people don't deal with stuff, it's almost like when you're, you know, like carrying a bag, you don't like deal with the stuff in the bag, you sort of like dump it onto the next person. But what happens to stop that process is when there is someone who has self-awareness and motivation and works through it. And honestly, to some degree, anybody on this webinar has some self-awareness and motivation because they're thinking about these topics. They're thinking about preparing for marriage by coming to an odd presentation. They're trying to work through it. They're trying to gain insights. So by definition, they're very le less likely to do the same thing that they've already grown up with because they don't want to, they're aware of it. So uh, that being said, being aware, and I don't want to be like my mother or my father, but not replacing it with something else with better skills or better mindset is only half the battle. Like to say, I don't want to be like my father. When stress comes or whatever it is, and you don't have other skills, you may need to fall back to what you saw what you grew up with. Yes, that's absolutely true. Our go-to in life is whatever we saw growing up. So unless you're very self-aware and motivated and working on it, you're right. You will go back to that go-to. But the good news is that I, there is a capacity to work through a lot of these things. And especially in something like going to therapy, where through a therapeutic relationship, whatever style you had or whatever norms you had in relationships, healthy or not healthy will come out because therapy is a relationship like any other, even though, again, there are differences, but it is a relationship. And when that stuff comes out, the good news about therapy is that it's a neutral space where whatever things that you want to work through aren't really affecting the other person. And you can have room and space to explore all of those coping skills. And you can also gain other skills. So in addition to just exploring and noting the negative, you can gain other positive things and replacement tools. So in other words, like, is that just is moving away from what you don't want? It does have to be replaced with something, whether it's through therapy or a lot of self-awareness or and a good friend, does it really need therapy? Like, or is there a way to know if you can figure it out on your own or really it should be done with some support, real support? Good question. I think it really depends. There are some people out there who are very self-aware and motivated and insightful on their own and can sort of figure things out and work through them and learn 
through other healthy role models that they had. Let's say they don't come from a back. I'm assuming again, this is coming from somebody who didn't come from healthy role models and healthy background and knowing how to do these things and having healthy coping skills. Some people can attach themselves to other healthy role models, learn other skills by being in other positive relationships with people. And maybe that works for them. And that's great. Sometimes I find it's sort of hard to see the forest when you're in the trees, not because there's anything wrong with you, just because it's sort of hard. And it can be helpful for people to have an objective person who does this often and works with people to help learn other ways to do it and see the things that might be better replaced or just explore and be there as an aid in the process to give support. Someone who has this background in Charlotte, as you said, like some people don't even recognize how off some of the skills or some of the mindsets that they got. So what can we talk to them? Like someone know that they don't like how they grew up, but is it something that they just don't want to do? Or is it something that they really should work through? Because like in seminaries, sometimes many or yeshiva, you start to just, hey, my family wasn't like that. Or you may see that earlier, but seminaries were in time with a lot of time that people start talking about how they grew up. We spent a lot long nights together. So they, all of a sudden they realize, hey, the, right, the way I grew up is not so normal. Or the way I grew up was just as normal as some others, but less normal than others or less copied. You know, I guess my question is, should we always be looking to improve or we can just say, this is, this is a good enough normal. Hmm. That's a good question. I would say, how does it, whatever your norm is affect you and affect your relationships? Meaning let's say someone's having a DMC in seminary and they're talking to their friends about what family life or things were like growing up. And they're realizing like, Hey, wait a second. My friends are all telling me that they grew up, their mothers always made dinner were there for them and said goodnight and kissed them and loved them. My parents never did that. But that's something that they're not finding affects them or they feel, you know what? I know I want to do that with my kids. So I'm not so worried about it because I feel like it's going to be okay. Okay. But if they find, let's say that then they're starting to, let's say date and they find, Hey, really having a hard time connecting to someone. This whole talking about my feelings thing, not for me, man. And like every guy I date says to me, um, can I just keep saying no, because, um, I don't feel like they can, they don't feel like they can connect to me. And I don't really understand what that means. Then maybe you're saying like, Hey, there's something going on here. Maybe you recognize there's some connection. It doesn't mean there's anything like enough to pathologize, like there's something bad or wrong or awful. It could be like, Hey, there's some patterns that you learned that maybe didn't work for you, or you're aware there's something going on. You're not really sure what the connection is. Maybe it's worth talking about with somebody. Thank you. Well, this question came in and I guess it's a typical question. I, I grew up in a dysfunctional family or whatever the definition is. How do I share that on a date and will I scare someone off? Ooh, it's a good question. It's also a hard one. I think that there's two pieces to this. There's a sort of emotional piece and a practical piece. Like I'm thinking about the person asking this question and I can imagine that's really hard. This is probably coming up in, in a state case where you're dating someone you actually like, because otherwise, why would you want to share something with them that like serious, right? And what is that? Or unsure, okay. forget that. But this is obviously someone you dated, you see potential maybe in the relationship, you care about them, you really want them to like you and you want them to be okay with whatever it is you're bringing up. And it's scary to bring up something that's like hard or difficult to talk about and makes you vulnerable and that you're not really sure they might be okay with or not. So I think we should first stop and validate and empathize. Like that's really hard. You're in a hard spot. And even if it's hard, it could be, the hope is that whoever it is you date, just like you really like them. And I'm sure they're not perfect either because I have yet to meet a perfect person. So none of us are perfect. 
they have good parts and hard parts. And just like you kind of feel like, hey, their good parts really outweigh their hard parts. I hope that they'll feel that your good parts also outweigh your hard parts. And if you could think about it, developing an open and honest relationship where someone really feels like, wow, this other person, they really accept me for who I am, given knowing everything about me. And they really care about me still and wanted me in a relationship with me. That's an amazing feeling to have. And the hard part is that sometimes some things when they're not disclosed end up leading to really bad things later on. I'm thinking of a client of mine who had a history of sexual abuse and was encouraged not to share it with her husband when she was dating and engaged. And she couldn't hold it in. So she told him during Shabbat breathless. You could imagine there was a lot of damage control they needed to do then. Again, I can empathize and understand. It's a really hard thing to share. The hard part is you, you and no one, no one hopes the bad happens. I have hope that whoever it is, again, they're going to really like you for who you are and will be able to handle the bad, hard stuff. And even it's something, once you know about it, you can talk about it and try to work through it together. As flip of that question, if you, someone shares with you that they came from a challenged background, what to look out for or what to, questions to ask or what to know if this is actually, they've worked through it or not worked through it. Basically, if someone asks, shares that with you. So that's a good question also. First, I think you can validate that like, to try to take yourself in their shoes for a second and understand it's probably really hard for them to share whatever it is. And to tell them like, to try to react in the best way you can and the nicest way you can, but you're human also. So you might be kind of shocked. Like people I know who just had days disclosed them that they had addictions or other things that they really... We're not expecting and we're like, hey, I'm not sure, I, I, I don't know what to do about that one. It's okay to take time to think about it. And I think that part of it is having an honest conversation with yourself. There's no one right answer or one, can't, I wish I could give you like an easy list of questions. Think that part of it is situation specific. It's understanding, trying to get a, a handle on how much, first of all, what exactly is the issue? And is it really something you, you are okay with? And that's an individual question. No one can tell you whether to be okay or not okay with something. If someone's an ax murderer, I'm not sure that might be something that's like objectively, you might not want to marry them, but barring that, the other things depend on you. And I think it's also about like discerning, is this something I can handle it? If not, and do you need to find out more information about it to know whether or not you can handle it? Sometimes it's helpful to talk it over with someone you trust. I think there's also, again, using your judgment because some people, let's say your family, your friends or mentors are people who can be trusted to be discerning. You talk to them about things. Even if you decide to go ahead with this relationship, they'll be able to keep in mind that the person has good parts to them and be okay with it. But some people kind of hurt and they'll always hold that, whatever that thing is against them. And they might also go and tell the entire Gansamishbacha or all of your group of friends about it. And that might not be so helpful to you or them. So it's also about being discerning about who you want to talk to about it. Um, and it's okay either way you go. You're allowed to say that something is really hard and it's a little, and it's too hard for you or it's too bad for you. You're not a bad person. It's not a bad thing. Just have to know yourself and whatever it is that you are okay with. And if you don't, it's also okay to talk it over with someone and get more information from the person directly, understand more from them, understand more about people they work through. And again, if they have, you can also try to figure out what's their level of self-awareness. And if you're not sure, you can bring it up and say, what do you make of the fact that you describe that your parents always yelled at you? What do you make of the fact that like you struggle with this or that? If they have zero self-awareness, you're in a bit of a pickle. But again, I would say the same thing. It depends. Is this person, I would say, don't try not to go into a relationship expecting them to change. Whatever it is, how they are, is how they're probably going to be. So you could think about it. Is however they are, is the good of who they are outweighed by whatever the heart is, including this lack of self-awareness about 
whatever they went through and how it's going to affect their marriage? Or is it something that like, you're not really sure is weighed by the good parts or you're really scared that it could really affect you and your future life together? So what I'm hearing then is like, if someone does bring this up, you could definitely explore it. Don't just take it as one sentence, yeah. but oh, explore. Yeah. you can come back on a yeah, second okay. date and a third date and circle back. Yeah. Exactly. Fully understand it. And if you, and it's okay also to like the person and say, this is too much. Yeah. And and it's okay to say wonderful person. I can't be in that, yes, into that, in that chaos. It's just, yeah, I come from something too, my family's stable and while it'd be wonderful for them to come into my stable family, I don't feel comfortable going into that chaos. Yes, you can. And it's hard because sometimes there's good and hard mixed in together. I Meaning, there's obviously a reason why you like this person. There might be some good in the relationship and it's sure. very painful to let it go. If you feel like the hard outweighs it and you could still decide to do that. I want to be clear is that I'm not saying to do that. Hey, no, to do or want to do it. That's why I kind of didn't say one answer because I don't think there is one answer. I think it really depends on each person. You know, I can, think of, a case, yeah, I can think of a case of someone who was a young adult woman who was dating a guy who told her that he had OCD and she wasn't really expecting it. And it was kind of shocking to her. She took some time to think about it and talk about it with him. I realized it really wasn't for her. And it was really hard and painful for her to break up with him. And he ended up marrying the next girl he dated, who was a friend of hers. Now, maybe that girl, what, just like he told the first girl, I'm assuming he told the second girl and she was okay with it and could be that they have a very happy marriage, but it wasn't okay for the first girl. So that's okay. And that's okay. They're both okay. And everyone has to just know themselves and, and be able to understand what it is they're okay with and not okay with. And there's no one right answer because everyone is unique. And you're, as in going back to the person who shares it, just because someone wants to take time to think about it. And just because someone wants to explore it further, doesn't mean like they're not accepting me as I am, or they're not accepting my family. So I can't go there. Realize right. that it's new information. It's something like they were not, it came out of left field or it didn't come out of left field, but they just weren't expecting it. Right. And it's nerve wracking for that person who shares that take the time to like listen to it, but it's also okay to take a deep breath sort of metaphorically and say like, okay. I shared something just like I would want some time to think about it and analyze it. It doesn't necessarily reflect whatever it is that my decision is. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but that other person also deserves time to think and reflect and ask questions. And I think it's fair to give them the space, which is what I wanted to do probably by bringing up whatever the topic is. When we talked about sharing all at once or like what I call dripping. So we just drip a little bit, see how the person responds before you share your whole life story, if they didn't respond well to the first part of the story or to some elements, there's a reason to share it all. So in the dating, you would still share a little bit, talk about it. It's like, you could talk about like, I went to therapy to, to work through what was going on in my family. You don't have to say what it was. And if they don't, if the other person has a problem with you going to therapy for whatever reason that's on them, then you don't have to share anything more. So you can drip it a little bit, or because I, I had a difficult childhood and you don't have to share the details if the person just freezes altogether doesn't even want to go there. You don't like, you don't feel comfortable in how they responded. So it's your story and you know what it is. You have 20 something years to prepare how you're going to share it or work with a counselor or work with a coach or work with a therapist, whatever, but how are you going to share it? That being said, just talking about Rav, depending on what the story is, you may want to figure out how much lesson Hover is involved and you may have to talk to a Rav about how to share that. So I just wanted to put that there. But be careful, but don't not share because you don't feel comfortable. I don't not share because you think if Lush and Hammer find out, because a lot of it, you are allowed to share. 
I just wanted to put that there because people are concerned all the time about hearing about their family because they are saying something negative about their family. So put that. Can we talk about, we were talking before a little, little bit about dysfunction and abuse, but let's talk about a little bit about emotional neglect and how that might show up in your marriage later if you don't necessarily deal with it. So emotional neglect. So that's a good question. Um, I think that the way I guess I, I would think about neglect is sort of going back to, we mentioned something about attachments, attachment relationships. Um, I would think about it. There's actually different types of attachment styles. And I think that's where you can see a lot of, uh, sort of the roots of neglect that can continue on in childhood. Um, and again, affect someone later on in life in their relationships and in marriage. Um, again, we mentioned, you know, I guess I'll take a step back also. I imagine someone thinking about this type of question, wondering like, either I came from a background of some neglect or someone I'm dating said told me they came from a background of neglect or I didn't have such a great relationship with my parents. Um, and they're like, well, wait a minute, am, am I, am I going to be able to have a healthy marriage? Am I going to be able to be a good parent? Um, so I want to take a step back and talk to that part of the person asking these kind of questions and say that there is hope, you know, and that it is possible to do different things than what you grew up. And again, by definition of being aware of what you went through and wanting to work through it and working at it, you're way less likely to repeat it. I work with countless clients who talk to me about difficulties that they grew up with parents who were really hard and they didn't have good relationships with and who didn't treat them well. And almost all of them have this fear. And I would talk to them and I say to them, like, after X amount of time, we've worked through this. Do you really think you'll ever be just like your parent? And almost every one of them says, no. And we talk about our self-awareness in some degree is like turning the lights on. You know, you can't really turn them off once they're on. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have to work through the maze in the room. You do. But the lights are still on. And again, what... I think so. So going back to the attachment style, the reason I think this is so important again is because it's a model for all of our social relationships. So would you call emotional neglect or sort of a neglect in, in and lack of healthy attachment style can be the thing that affects us. And I think that could so that and can talk about those different styles and how they show up in relationships. So broadly speaking, again, there's a researcher named Mary Ainsworth who expanded this research of John Bowlby about attachment figures and talked about three different types that was later turned into four. The first is a secure attachment. So that is when children feel safe that the parents or again, attachment figure, but in this case, we'll just call it parents for sake of easiness. It could be someone else. The parents are sensitive, they're responsive and accepting of their children. The children feel safe to go out and explore the world and to come back to their parent as a sort of healthy base. They get that reassurance when they're needed. They can express negative emotions and they learn that someone's going to be there to listen to them. So those children in adult relationships learn how to trust. They often have healthy self-esteem. They are in touch with their emotions and they're generally successful in relationships. But then there's the three types of insecure attachments where you see sort of, a, and you call it neglect or attachments. Um, and you can see how it affects later relationships because of whatever they've gone through as children. The first is called an anxious insecure attachment, which what happens when parents respond to their children's needs inconsistently. Um, so sometimes the children can rely on the parents, sometimes they can't. So because of that, they fail to develop a felt sense of security in themselves and their attachment figure, and they won't easily move away from them. So they become very clingy and angry and demanding. And sometimes they hope that like, if they're getting more upset, then their parents will respond to them. 
So in an adult relationship, those people could look clingy and demanding and have a hard time trusting. And I'm thinking of a client of mine who told me how she's constantly testing her husband to see if he's really there for her or not. This type of person probably had a lot of neglect and anxious attachment. So she needed her parents. They were sometimes there for her and sometimes not. So she's always seeing, is my husband there for me? Is he not there for me? Is he there for me? Is he not there for me? Another uh, type of insecure attachment is called the avoidant insecure. When a parent has a really hard time accepting and responding sensitively to their child, instead minimizes their feelings or rejects them. So this child learns it's best to avoid getting the parent involved because they don't really respond in a helpful way. And they also learn that they have to shut down their feelings and they learn they have to rely on themselves because they really don't have the parent there for them. So as adults, these people might be the kinds who either avoid relationships or in a relationship, they're dismissive of people or they kind of keep them at a distance and they only rely on themselves because that's all that they had. The last category is called disorganized attachment, which was when parents show atypical behavior and that they're downright rejecting and ridiculing, they frighten their kids. So often this comes from parents who have themselves unresolved trauma. And it's considered disorganized because the way the parent reacts to their children doesn't help the child learn to organize a way of understanding and functioning in the world. So these children have to figure out their own way of becoming and understanding people and the world around them. Um, and sometimes in order to do that, they act aggressively toward, let's say their parent is children or an adult, they act aggressively in their relationship. Um, and they refuse care from the parent, again, refusing care from, as an adult, from the partner they're in a relationship with, or they become very self-reliant. So they're sort of distant, don't rely at all on someone else in an adult relationship. So those are some broad categories of ways that neglect or unhealthy attachments, which again, kind of are the same spectrum, can really affect an adult relationship later on. So if someone's seeing themselves in one of these, because uh, when you were talking about that marriage, so they're not going to see themselves in a marriage relationship, but they can see themselves with roommates or coworkers or classmates. So if someone would see themselves in one of these categories, what can they do? Well, of course they see themselves in secures then say, yes, James. But. Right. Meaning they're coming from a place where they're like, shoot, I find myself, I'm not really good at, I, I tend to test people. I'm not really good at like connecting emotionally. I don't talk about feelings. I just turn everything into humor or joke and like, I can't handle that stuff or I have to rely on myself, there's no one else in the world to rely on. The good news is, yesh tikva, quote Penny Friedman. There's always hope. I don't think just because somebody grows up in one of these styles, you, know, it's not, you don't even have to know exactly what style you grew up in, but if you find in social, often these come up with friendships too, because every relationship is a relationship. So whatever style you learn of how to deal in relationships in the world, it's gonna come up in a relationship. The good news is that every new relationship, you come in new and you can try and do it better. Uh, you're not stuck in whatever you grew up with in the past. There's always hope to work through things. Again, self, I think self-awareness is like, and motivation is really half the work. Once you're aware that you're doing, if you're not aware, you can't really change. Uh, but once you're aware that something's going on, especially if you see for some reason, part of your relationships aren't satisfying to you in the way that you wish they were, aren't working out for you. But now, again, it's not always, there's usually, I like to think of things as sort of a puzzle. So there are a lot of pieces in the puzzle. One piece could be, uh, that there's a part of it that you're contributing and that could come from not having healthy models of attachment. And again, it's very possible to work through them and to gain better ways of understanding and coping. Whether it's talking about it through, again, a healthier attachment model or a, or a therapist or a, a mentor who can help you work through those, those struggles that you're having. But I don't think it's not set in stone. It's definitely possible and there's hope to work through them. And you can, and it's for your sake and for your marriage sake and for your children's sake and for future generations, 
Yes. It may be hard to do the inner work, but yes. it's going to be easier after you do the inner work. Your relationship will be happier. Your children will be happier and your future generations and your coworkers and your colleagues and everyone else, which you are in a better place. And you will also be happier. You find usually people notice these things when things aren't going so well. They're like, if everything's going well, most people don't notice whatever these patterns are, if they're even happening. But usually people notice them when there's something not going right in their relationships. Wouldn't it be amazing if you also felt satisfied in your relationships, if they were peaceful, if they were meaningful, if you, you were able to get out of there what you wanted and you were able to contribute what you wanted and be the best person that you could. And I think there's always hope to do that, no matter the kind of background you came from. I work with so many people who come from backgrounds that, again, by every objective and subjective definition, people will be like, oh, they're never going to get better. They're never going to get married. They're never going to have kids. They're never going to be good parents. And they really can. It is possible to change. It's possible to grow. We're, we're humans. We can grow. We're, we're supposed right. to grow. That's right. And we're malleable. We can, we can change the way we interact with other relationships. And that feeling of, I was a victim is uh, that victim mentality. I'm a victim of my circumstances is something that is, first of all, is intergenerational and, and people do pick that up from their parents. Uh, but we can definitely, we know that we can pull ourselves out of that. We can control. So we had a more difficult, like both circling back, we had a more difficult childhood or difficult years in our childhood. But that doesn't have to define us. That yeah. could be just what happened. And that can have be made, first of all, can make us more empathetic to others when we get past that, but we do have to get work through it. Yeah. That's what you're saying. I think you're absolutely right. You know, I can think of someone I'm working with who grew up in a home where it was severe neglect. Parents didn't notice when they were depressed in bed for several years and missing half of school, half of their schooling career, which is a lot for parents to miss. Um, and. This person was able to, through a lot of hard work and um, on themselves and in their practical life, to be able to build a life for themselves and get a good job and be able to get married to a much healthier person and work through this. Now, it's true. Does their spouse bother them sometimes? Yes. Do they get triggered by some of the same, well, I didn't get what I wanted in childhood and now I'm not getting what I want in my marriage? Yeah. Is it hard? Yeah. But do they have a much better marriage than whatever they saw growing up? Absolutely. And do they have hope to continue to build a better relationship? Most definitely. So that's back, I just want to stress that again, is that when you're dating somebody or, or a name comes up of someone who came from a challenge background, don't, don't just dismiss it because they could have worked through it. They could have worked through it. They could work through it. And if they were first, if someone has gone worked through something, they're more self-aware yeah. and they have new skills and better skills than someone who just flows through life. So sometimes, but that is because they work through it, not just, yeah, so, so I think it's important. I'm a big proponent of therapy and someone who's gone to therapy is well, not every therapist works well, the first relationship may not work. Just because someone went through therapy doesn't mean that they necessarily have worked through it, but doesn't also just, so just to say that just because someone has therapy on their resume, it's a check they're in a better place. We can't say that either. But just because someone went to therapy doesn't mean, it could mean that they are in a much better place. They have new skills, new self-awareness. They're also, if something comes up in the marriage, they're not afraid to go to therapy. They know that, that it's helpful. So I'm a big proponent of therapy. Yeah, that's definitely true. But I think it really, it's very person dependent. It could be you find somebody who's gone through a difficult child in a background and they are, they had aggressive parents and parents who took advantage of them as I'm thinking about a client that I'm working with now. 
who she came from a really difficult childhood where it sounds like the mother had a personality disorder and really didn't really make emotional space for her. And she married someone who also came from a difficult background. And again, you have a, a person has a choice. They can repeat the patterns and just like their parents were aggressive toward each other, they can be aggressive toward their spouse. Or they can realize, hey, I realize that what I grew up with isn't normal. And I took the time and energy to work through it. And I am consciously doing things differently. People don't choose the circumstances that they're handed in life, but they do choose how to respond to them. And so it's not always about someone. And, and like you say, somebody who grew up with difficult circumstances, but who consciously chooses to do things differently and to gain healthy role models, to work through things, to learn better coping skills, they can be so much more appreciative and a, a really good spouse because they really work on their stuff. And stuff comes up, even if you grew up with a, a perfect childhood and a marriage like starts off an amazing foot. Everyone has stuff coming up in life. And the question is whether you have the skills to work through those stuff. Someone who has gone through things has the skills to work through it. Again, I think there's going, everyone has to figure out what package deal could work for them. It's okay to say either way, yeah, this could work for me, or you know what, that really can't work for me. But just because someone has stuff in their package doesn't mean that they're garbage. Absolutely not garbage. Absolutely. We all have stuff in our package. You have to, you have to know what you can handle. And sometimes just the rep family reputation, just because they seem like they're not the kind of family doesn't mean that it's not worth trying to figure out a little bit more who this family is because people get reputations that are not, that they don't deserve. Absolutely. Yeah. Someone could have seen something in the bungalow colony and totally misinterpreted it or the neighbors or whatever. And yeah, right. yeah. And that absolutely. I'm going to go back to when we talked about this thing is about family. So family is most of the parents, but sometimes there's the dynamics in the family joining a family. So it's not only how the kid was brought up, but joining a family with the siblings that are all fighting and things like that. Can you talk to that a little bit? What is it like? What to know about joining a family that's currently chaotic? Just to understand, the question is, to talk more about what it's like to join a family that's currently chaotic and maybe not only about the parents, but the siblings who are struggling, or there's like maybe a lot of fighting or chaos or difficulties going on. Okay. I think like everything, the important thing is to go in with your eyes open and to gain understanding and know what, what is going on and to sort of step back with the person that you're in a relationship with and say, what do you make of this? What do you think about it? And see what their level of awareness is. And to again, have an honest, open conversation with yourself. I guess I have a hard time picturing a, per a situation where the parents, like everything about the parents is healthy and it's entirely the siblings who are arguing or a situation where the parents are completely unhealthy and the siblings are perfect. Like usually it's a combination and a mix and it's often rooted in something deeper than whatever's going on right at the current moment. Because again, if people have a healthy base and, and attachment relationships and coping skills in life, that even when hard things come up, they can handle it. Again, not always perfectly. Okay. Yeah. People get into fights. I think there's a normal degree of sibling rivalry, right? I mean, I don't know, maybe there's perfect families where siblings never fight, but most people have some, something. So you have, I think that it's important to be discerning and understand yourself. Okay. Well, is whatever's going on in this person's family considered in the more typical range or is it in the like kind of out there left field range? If it's out there in left field range, yes, you marry, when you marry something, you marry their family. Also, you marry the person. So you have to know for yourself, are the parents living on the other side of the world? You're going to see them once a year and they don't really call that often. So you only have so much to do with them. And the siblings live in far flung places. And again, you don't have that much to do with them. Um, or are they living around the corner from you? 
And what's this, the person who's in their family's relationship with all, all those people? And what do they make of the patterns that they see? I think that's even more crucial than the actual practical piece of like, okay, where do they live and how much do they do with them? And like, what do you think about it? It's like, what does that person who's coming from that family think about all those things? Are they aware of them? Are they wanting to work on them? Do you, are you aware of them wanting to work on them? Can you have an honest conversation with that person about like, hey, I see this dynamic. Not really sure it's the healthiest. Can we do it differently if we decide to be a couple, if we decide to get married? And are we talking about boundaries also? Like the, sometimes you have to make boundaries and suppose you have to see if, if the person who's in that fa from that family, the person you're dating from that family, if they're understanding of the situation, like you said, and will they be willing to be part of those boundaries or are they defending their family? And then it's something that you have to see if you could handle. Right, exactly. I'm thinking of a client that I worked with who had a mother who one of her siblings checked their phone bill, called them 150 times a month. It means five times a day for completely irrelevant, silly questions. Obviously this mother wasn't an emotionally well person. And the question is when you have someone who's thinking about marrying into a family like that, does their child recognize, Hey, it's not really so normal that my mother calls me five times a day, asking me to look up a recipe for her and bothering me nonstop when I don't. Um, but again, I think that there's, it's hard to say again, unless there's like really extreme circumstances of things that are absolutely black and white. No, you can't handle it. No, you shouldn't marry them. Yes, you should. Yes, it's good. It really depends on each person. Is the other person aware of the dynamic? Are they able, are you able to have a conversation with them about it? Are they understanding? Yeah, I know my family has this stuff, fill in blank or whatever stuff is. And I am not, I'm not really okay with it. I don't think it's so normal that my mother calls my sister five times a day and I make sure not to pick the phone up the first four times she calls me. And I'm okay with that. Or they say, no, my mom's perfect. What's wrong with the mother calling your son and her daughter five times a day? Why well, you shouldn't do it. You should do everything for your parent at the expense of your spouse and marriage. It really depends on what kind of relationship and the conversations that you can have with that person and with your own self. So that question of what do you make of it is, I think you're here, you're saying it several times. I think that's a very important question to be asking about lots of things, yeah. in but especially yeah. here. Yeah. And I think it's about gate. I guess that's my way, but again, you can use your own language of gauging the other person's self-awareness and what they think about it. And if they're going to even repeat these patterns, again, we talk about, there really is hope. We don't have to repeat the same patterns, but if you're not aware of them, it's very likely that you will. So if you see somebody in their family acts in a way that you really don't think is so functional and you're not okay with it or whatever, it's not, it doesn't work for you. And they have no awareness of when you ask them, what do you make of it? And they're like, what's the problem? I have no idea. I never thought about it. Like, it's totally fine to me. The likelihood is they're going to continue to act like that. And again, then you have a choice. Are you okay with that or not? Or somewhere in between? And you have to think about it. So it's not your place of the data we're dating to say that's not normal. And if we were to get married, we would have to why, figure why it can't, out. I mean, it's bad. It can, why can't it be your place? It, it was a part of the relationship. Again, there's no one right answer because if it's one date and someone tells you about how all the things going on in their home and you're like, oh, this is really not for me. It's really not okay. It's really not dope. And you're like nodding and smiling. You're going to say no anyways. Probably it's not the best option to say to them, you know, I don't think that's such a great way to function in the world. Did you ever think about it like this? But if it's something you did seriously, you're really thinking about marrying them. You really like them. They really like you. You feel safe and comfortable with them. They feel safe and comfortable with you. Maybe it is important and it's worth taking your own self into account. Your needs are also important and your feelings and you as a person are important in whatever marriage you're going to go into. You can have a place to say, I have a space here and I need to know that I'm okay with whatever it is that we're going into. So then we could talk about it and actually ask for change yeah. or something or boundaries or 
Yeah, whatever the right Yeah, I think, again, I wouldn't go into a marriage expecting someone to change. Whatever you see or whatever you learn, you might look, you might not pick everything up right away. It could be even when you're engaged to somebody, you pick up things or you learn things or you spend more time with the family and you learn about them. But I think that everything could be a conversation. And there's always a nice way to say it and an appropriate way to say it. At one in the morning after you had a fight with the person you're dating, probably not the best time to bring these things up. But if you have a calm, calm time and you're feeling safe and calm and you bring up in a nice way, I noticed this and can we talk about it? Is that how you want to do things in your home? Is that how you want to do things in your marriage? So if someone says, yes, I want to change, but they haven't really done any of that change because they're dating and you're going to get engaged or not, can you trust that they want to make that change? That they will make that change or that we can that saying that for the date that's a tough question i really think it depends on the person there are some people look sometimes look for the, the good and the hard sometimes it takes somebody else to point out a dynamic because when you're in it it's really hard to see it if you think that it's normal to, let's say you're someone that grows up in a family where everyone's very last minute so they think it's so normal to be rushing like crazy until every 18th minute on Friday afternoon. And they don't realize how chaotic it is until they're getting or engaged to somebody who says, in my house, like my mother is ready by the time she lights candles. It's not such a crazy chaos. They're like, oh, huh, wow. I, like I knew things were chaotic in my house, but I didn't realize quite how chaotic they were. But you know what? That's right. It's something that I wish that it were nice, like calmer, and I, I would like to do it. If you trust them, if you know them, like any relationship, any marriage that you go into, you have to be able to trust the person. In general, are you able to trust them? In general, do they follow through on things that they promise? In general, are they a safe person? Or do you feel like most of your relationship is them being superficial and just saying things that you want to hear? I have a feeling you wouldn't get into a marriage with that kind of a person. You have to hope. You have to hope. And you know what? The good news is that you don't have to do this on your own. Again, each person out there, they can try to find a mentor. If they don't know, if they have a mentor, that's amazing. If you talk to somebody they trust, maybe somebody who knows the other person. And if they want to talk to the other person's mentor also, or if they want to go through to talk to a professional and just work through these, this issue with them, they don't have to decide, they don't have to, they can trust their own instincts. And if they want to consult with other people that they think would be helpful, they're more than welcome. To, to add to that, I know some, some communities, they don't really meet the family before, or they don't meet the family in any real way. But if there's some concerns, you could meet the family and spend some time with the family if you really want to see what it's like rather than just relying on what someone is describing. And of course they're describing it from their perspective, but they might experience it differently. So while it may not be a typical dating experience, you may, and you could do whatever you need to get the information or to get the experience that you need. I know that in many communities, you just need to hear what the kid has to say or the their adult child has to say about it rather than experiencing what that feels like. And that's okay to ask for it. This is true. Really depends. I can hear some people saying, oh, I don't want to be the weirdo to ask to meet them. But again, you have to know yourself. Could you feel comfortable in saying, hey, can we stop by for an hour? Can we do something short? Whatever makes you feel comfortable. Or you can talk to other people who know the family well or things like that, or really have in-depth conversations with the person. It really it's a must, but it's right. something that you could consider. It's not, not an absolute no, just because it's not done. If it's something that you really want to see the dynamics of it, right. then you can in the same way that Sometimes some couples will meet with a therapist before, whether there's an addiction or something or recovery or whatever it is, or a medical doctor. It's not the typical thing, but if you want information, that's another way to get some real experience. I mean, not major experience, but some experience. I just wanted to put that out there that it's 
while it's not typically done, it's a, a way to do things. I think yes, what you're saying is that your feelings and instincts and guts and needs and wants also matter. If you feel like there's something there that you're not really sure you're comfortable with, that you want to check out, that you don't know about, that you, it just makes you uneasy to go along the way things are, it's okay to say something and it's okay to ask and it's okay to get more information or get whatever it is you need to feel comfortable and safe and secure. You want to go into a marriage feeling trusting, feeling safe and feeling happy and secure. If there's something big out there that makes you feel like you're not really sure and you don't really know, so you're, it's valid for you to need to find out. Even if the other person's like, why, well, I don't need to meet your family, but you know what? You need to meet theirs or you need to do whatever, fill in the blank, whatever it is, just because this is the example we're talking about. Whatever you need is valid. Okay. And if they don't feel comfortable with that to some to the major degree, then to weigh that also. Yeah. Then that's another thing to think about, you know, well, what does that mean? Why isn't the person okay with wanting that? And again, it could be a conversation and you could still go either way. You could still say, okay, I'm still comfortable enough with them. I like them enough. The good enough outweighs the part, but you're knowing that you're what you're walking into with your eyes open. And this last question, what happens after dating and engagement and children are born and the spouse from the dysfunctional family hides everything and has no self-awareness, enmeshment, role reversal, caretaking, shame, not simple to resolve in couples therapy. People don't change. So acceptance therapy. That's really hard. Again, I'm thinking about the person asking this question and I can imagine they're coming from a place of pain and it is so painful to be married to somebody and realize they hid things either because they consciously hid it or because they're just really not self-aware. They repeat the same patterns and like, shoot, you're not making this up, but let's say 10 years down the line, you're married, you have four or five kids and like, now what? That's really hard. I would say that this, even if they don't just know what's going on, I think that spouse deserves support and a place to explore their feelings. I, that's not really, I don't think that, I think that's very specific. Each of those cases are so sensitive and unique that I think you can answer it in a general webinar. I think that's something that people deserve support and someone to talk to and a neutral safe space like therapy or someone to talk through with it and to explore their feelings, help them either to cope with the situation as it is and try to work through it to the best of their ability or to try to figure out their solutions. But I don't think that's the answer I can give on more foot and it's not fair to that person to do that. So I want to empathize. That's really hard and you deserve to support yourself in however you need to get through that. I just wanted to add to what we were talking about before. That is, I think it's important that you share whatever it is because you want to make sure that you're accepted by the other person. So to decide that it's going to show up at some point, you're talking about your family. How long can you hide your family? And if they don't come to the wedding and they don't come to Shevardbrachas, then a little awkward or they might notice something. It's like some of them, if your mother doesn't show up, it's like, I really hide it. But so when you're dating, it's important to actually share so that you make sure that you're accepted with whatever it is, because that surprise later that is not going to work. Like we just saw in this question that just came up, there's no. And this person may have been really unaware, but if you are aware and you try to hide it because you're afraid you're going to lose this potential, it's not to your best interest not to share it. Which again, and we can validate it. That's so true. And it's still really hard to do. Oh, it's definitely hard. Really hard man. Support, definitely the support and knowing, and how to, knowing how to say it, getting support, understanding, putting yourself in context, figure out when and how the relationship. And again, I think that's like somewhat specific to whatever it is, your situation is what you're sharing, the person you're in a relationship with. But I think that there's a helpful way and it can be done. And you'd be surprised that 
there are a lot of good things about you. And I hope that whomever it is you're in a relationship with will see all those good things and that the good will be good enough. Okay, so we said a lot. Any final thoughts? I think the main theme, and I hope that I came through a lot of these questions, is I think that there's always hope that no matter what kind of background someone comes from, yeah, we take everything, whatever we grew up with like, it is our foundation. So we take it with us through life, especially in terms of our relationship structure and how we understand ourselves, other people in the world. But that doesn't mean that just because it wasn't perfect or it wasn't, even if it wasn't good at all, it doesn't mean that you're stuck in it, that you have to be repeating the patterns just because that's what you grew up with. I think there's always hope. And again, with self-awareness and motivation and work, hard work, you really can develop a good relationship. You don't have to repeat whatever patterns that even were from your grandparents or parents, however many generations back, you can always build positive in the future. And I think I really give everyone here so much credit, especially in, again, a big thanks to you, Dora and to Mansk and to the Kronos Community Counselor and anyone on this program, by definition, you already are like one step ahead because you have self-awareness, you have the motivation, you're trying to grow or trying to help somebody else grow in your life to learn these things beforehand. So I think that there is a lot of hope and you can really build wonderful relationships. Thank you. And how can people reach you? Sure, Mike. Anyone, if I can ever be helpful, please feel free to reach out. My number is 732-806-1626. And my email is all in one word, Dr. Margo Neuberger, D-R-M-A-R-G-O-N-E-U-B-U-R-G-E-R at protonmail.com. Thank you, Dr. Neuberger. And thank you all for joining us tonight. Thank you, Basque and Grants Community Council for being part of this important project. So thank you all and good night. Thank you.